0: Hi, thanks for joining us this week on Menlo Church Online. We are a place where everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything is possible. We're a community of people who believe in God and truly believe that he will do things in the Bay Area. So our hope this week is that you would be able to connect with him and hear what God has to tell you. So enjoy the rest of this message. Hi, everybody. My name's John, and I'm a sinner. Let's try that one more time. Uh, We're in this series called The Way, looking at how to make spiritual growth with Jesus available to ordinary people, discipleship, and uh, we want to be a place of great honesty and transparency and confession. So you have to, in those two words, hi, John, invest the joy and grace and unconditional warmth, acceptance, positive regard. God-breathed enthusiasm that will make me glad that I am transparent with you so that we can build that kind of culture together. And I think you can do better. Hi, everybody. My name's John. I'm a sinner. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's so good. All right. All through the series now. You bring it. You bring it like that. Uh, Last week, we started with the need to confess our powerlessness and surrender. And we call that give up. We practice saying your will be done. That's the foundation for this whole series. I can't, God can, I think I'll let Him. Uh, What matters in this series way more than what you hear in the sermon is what you do in between the sermons. Uh, So how did that go this week? We're all using these devotional calendars. You can get one today if you don't have one yet. On Monday, one of the questions was, what areas have you not yet surrendered to God? One guy told me when I talked last week about how I think I've surrendered, but then my wife asked me to clean out the garage like I promised, and I discovered I haven't surrendered at all, that his wife looked right at him in the middle of the sermon at that point because he had promised to clean out the garage, and it was still not clean, and this guy is one of the elders of our church. He's my boss. And he said, it was like the Lord spoke to him right in the middle of that sermon, and the Lord said, tell John to never mention cleaning out the garage again. So that's give up. Now, today is think up. We're going to learn how God wants to begin to change the automatic flow of our thoughts, desires, emotions, perceptions that are always running through our mind. It's a strange thing about how we treat our minds. Uh, If somebody has a high-performance car, they never fill it with cheap, low-octane gasoline. We used to have a neighbor who was a bodybuilder. He would monitor literally every bite of food that went into his body. He would wake himself up in the middle of the night to ingest protein at that interval when he could absorb it. Um, What he didn't know was when his wife was mad at him, she would get revenge by fixing his lunch and secretly replacing the low-fat spread in his sandwiches with very high-fat butter and mayonnaise. I read a veterinarian recently who said there are 50 key ingredients you need to give your cat, and that uh, there are certain antioxidants that are good brain food for aging dogs. In the United States alone, we will spend $30 billion on carefully selected pet food this year. Here's what's remarkable. We can be unbelievably careful about what we put in our cars or our bodies or our pets, and remarkably careless about what we put into our one and only mind. Whatever kind of junk may be floating around us on social media or absurd clickbait headlines or non-edifying material on TV or in the movies or in magazines or conversations that are full of gossip or crassness or envy will be things that we end up feeding our mind. And And yet, to a very large extent, the kind of mind I cultivate determines the kind of life I live and the kind of person that I become. And what is more, folks don't talk about this much, you and nobody else is in charge of what you put into your mind, is in charge of the quality of the mind that you steward. Our middle child, Danny, has always had a terrific imagination. And one time when he was four, we punished him by putting him in the timeout chair, and he just sat there grinning the whole time. supposed to be punishment. It's very irritating when you're a parent, you're trying to punish a kid, and they're enjoying it. And we finally asked them, what in the world are you doing? And he said, I'm thinking in cartoons. He had a very rich imagination. The problem is, you can't forbid a four-year-old kid to think in cartoons. You can put their body in the timeout chair. You can't put their mind in timeout. And in fact, Viktor Frankl, Psychiatrist, profound thinker, author, concentration camp survivor, if you've ever read his stuff, wrote in Man's Search for Meaning that the ultimate freedom in human life is freedom not of the body. They might do anything to your body. Freedom of the mind. Your ability to think, to choose your attitude, to set your mind wherever you want in any given set of circumstances, that's the ultimate human freedom. The great art of life is learning to direct your conscious thought. You have an unceasing stream of thoughts, perceptions, desires, emotions going on in your mind. That is your life. And the ability to direct it well is the ultimate art of living. I can have a mindset on an elevated vision of God and His goodness and presence and love that can inspire me, or I can have a mind Weighted down by worry, chronic discontent, ego, anger, fear. Great student of the mind uh, by the name of Chick Sentmihai said, At certain times in history, cultures have taken it for granted that a person wasn't fully human unless he or she learned to master thoughts and feelings. One of those times was Jesus' time. One of those cultures was Jesus' culture. One of those teachers was the master. So, today we're going to talk about reading the Bible for spiritual growth in order to be changed so that we can live a wonderfully surrendered life. classic statement about this comes from Paul to his young friend Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy... You have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. No person can have a great life without a great mind. I don't mean a high IQ mind. I mean a peace-filled, surrendered, joyful mind. No one can have a great mind unless they feed it great thoughts. And there is no greater source of great thoughts in human history than the Bible. So this step and this message is incredibly simple. can be summarized in three words, read the Bible. And I want us all to carry that away, so let's say those three words together out loud. Read the Bible. If you're worried, discouraged, tempted, confused, curious about God, feeling alone, need wisdom, want to feed your mind something better than all the junk around us, what should you do? Read the Bible. Um, after the service, if somebody asked you what was the message about, what will you tell them? Read the Bible. Might not be a good message, but I promise you, you will know what it's about. Now this leads to a next question: Why should I read the Bible? Common question in our day. Two thousand-year-old book, different culture, seems odd. Why should I read it? Well, for one thing, you might go to heaven. And if you do, you might run into one of the people who wrote one of the books in the Bible. And he might ask you, what did you think of my book? (laughs) And you don't want to have to say, oh, Mr. Malachi, never got around to reading it. It was in a bad location. I'm sure it was fine. (laughs) I should read the Bible because in Paul's word, it's god breathed. Now, this is a unique thing about this book. While fully honoring the humanity and culture of every author... 66 books in the Bible, God uniquely inspired the Scriptures to allow us to learn that there is a great story to human existence and to reveal Himself and His character. Why read the Bible? What does reading it do? It generates life. It creates faith. It provides guidance. It makes the foolish wise. It makes the faltering strong. It makes the discouraged hopeful. It is the first book to read to a little child. It is the last best book to read to a dying man. It is so simple and yet so deep. The early church fathers and mothers used to say a gnat could swim in it, but an elephant could drown in it. It corrects the erring, it inspires the daring, it encourages the despairing, it humbles those who are overbearing. Reading the Bible honors God and worries the devil. It reminds the lonely they have love for this life and heaven in the next. I promise you, I promise you, on your deathbed, there is no book that will speak to you the way that this book will. In this book we discover not so much how the world got made as by whom and what for. From this book you will learn your identity and your family and your enemy the awful calamity of your sin and the royal pedigree of your life as a child of the king and your eternal destiny as a citizen of heaven. And if that were not enough, in this book you will meet Jesus who alone mastered life and conquered death. The story of his actions, the unmatched brilliance of his teachings, the eyewitness account of his death on a cross and his resurrection are simply found nowhere else but this book. Is it any wonder that People like William Tyndale, John Rogers, others, sacrificed their lives to make it available, that across the centuries, countless others have toiled in anonymity and great poverty and suffering to translate the Scripture into unknown languages with such diligence that now, over 95% of the world's population have the message of Jesus available to them in their language. No other book comes close to that. It's an amazing book. Here's the question. How often do I read it? A survey by American Research Group found 94% of Americans own a Bible. No other book comes close. 94% of us own it. Most homes have multiple copies. 90% believe that it applies to today. 86% believe that it's holy. And yet less than 30% read it even weekly outside of church, if they read it there. Biblical literacy is at an all-time low. One survey, 30% of the people who responded believed that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. Not making that up. You have to think about that for a moment. Um, We're going to turn that around based on today's message, which, uh, if anybody asks you, is about what three words? Read the Bible. Bible. This series about spiritual growth for everybody, step one is give up. I can't, God, you can, uh, I think I'll let him, and, and step two, think up, have a renewed mind, primarily by engaging regularly with the Bible. And so I want to give you the simplest framework for engaging the Bible I know. I don't know where it began, but it just uses a little acronym, SOAP, S-O-A-P. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, uh, to be washed in the water of the Word. Like soap goes through the fibers of a dirty fabric The Word of God can go through the thoughts and desires in my mind and cleanse them, okay? S-O-A-P. S stands for Scripture. Make a commitment. Make a commitment to read the Bible on a regular basis. I recommend daily, not a mechanical thing, not a legalistic thing, just whatever it takes to renew my mind. You don't have to be heroic, just study. Ironically, anybody want to guess the number one reason people give for not reading the Bible? I don't have enough... Lack of time was cited four times more often than any other reason for not reading this book. Now, a big part of this series is we're all coming out of denial together in all areas of our life. We're just admitting we're messed up, we're powerless, we're rejecting the lame excuses we use to tell ourselves. So let's come out of denial on this time thing. Recent Nielsen survey found the average American spends almost six hours a day on video. Of course, nobody in here but the average American. TV is number one. Every media platform is getting Uh, into the video deal because we can't get enough of it, but the more we depend on screens to guide our thoughts, the weaker our ability to direct the flow of thoughts and feelings in our mind, because we've outsourced that, that muscle. We have access to more great thoughts than anybody in history, but our ability to direct our thoughts is weaker than ever before because we've outsourced that muscle. So. Uh, Not only do we watch, but binge-watching has become a thing. Jesus was a binge-reader of the Bible, and we know this, because at the beginning of his ministry, he quotes Scripture three times to defeat temptation. At the very end of his life, he quotes Scripture on the cross to express his heart to his Father. And in between, everything he did and everything he taught flowed out of his profound immersion knowledge of the Scriptures. You can make time. You can make time. You could do it first thing. You can do it last thing. You can do it middle thing. You could make time for it after work. You could make time for it on the weekend. You could listen to it in your car. You could listen to it while you get ready in the morning. You could read it with a friend. You could read it in line at the grocery store or in line at the airport or in line while you're waiting for coffee. It might make you be nicer to other people. Let's say you pick a time of day. What else do you need? Well, get a Bible that you like. There's different translations. You might know the Old Testament was written mostly in Hebrew, uh, the New Testament basically in Greek, and there's a lot of different translations. I often use the New International Version. If you don't have a Bible, take one today from the church. Just pick one up and take it home with you. If you're wondering, won't I get in trouble for ripping off a Bible from the church? Well probably, but show a little backbone. Uh, We've got Bibles at all of our campuses this weekend just for this. Just take one out of the pew. Go to uh, uh, Info Central. Take one home. Really, we don't want not having a Bible to be a barrier for anybody. Be glad to make that our gift to you. And then pick a passage in the Bible. Again, uh, in the devotional calendar, every day we have a little scripture. And we want to make this way as simple as possible. It's a framework for life. So you don't have to try to add more stuff on to the series. Just use this calendar. It'll get you into the scripture. Uh, After the series, often I'll recommend people to uh, make their way through a little part each day of one book in the Bible to see how it all flows. If you're just starting in your spiritual life, often it's helpful to go through uh, one of the accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And that's all you need. Don't complicate it. Some people wonder, do I have to keep a journal? Uh, Question here, how many people here do not like to journal? Just raise your hand, okay? Look, this this is a church, hands up all over the place. Uh, Here's something that might be of interest to you. Jesus never journaled. Mary, Peter, Moses, Gideon, Elijah, Abraham, all kinds of people in the Bible love God, You know, lived in faith, but they never went to the stationery store and bought a little leather-bound book with blank pages and wrote in it every day. Uh, if, if it helps you, do it. I'm an introvert. I process internally. Uh, journal writing often helps me. I'm married to Nancy. She's an extrovert, an external processor. She doesn't like to journal. She'll feel guilty about not journaling, go buy a journal, make an entry, and then go years before she makes her next entry. And then she feels guilty about that, and she'll say to me, what if I die and somebody reads through this, and they see how long I went between entries in my journal. And I'll say, the good news is you'll be dead. What do you care if somebody reads it by that time? <laughs> The book that matters is the book that God wrote, not the book that you write. So just take scripture. Do this in a relaxed spirit. Might start with just 15 minutes, maybe just 10 if that gets you into it. Don't rush them. When I was about 10 years old, my parents had each of us kids when we were 10 take piano lessons. We had to practice 30 minutes a day. That was the rule. My brother hated it. He spent literally half of his time running upstairs to look at the clock and see if his 30 minutes were up yet. He is now 57 years old. Guess when the last time he played the piano was? 47 years ago when he was 10 years old. Okay, the Bible's not a clock deal. Just do it in a relaxed, unhurried spirit. S is for scripture. And then O is for observe. Be curious about what you read. Notice. We has got an autopilot. So much life. One myth about the Bible is it's a book only scholars can really understand. No. Scholarship's a good thing. We value theological education here. There are certainly many very complex Uh, issues in the Bible as there are in every domain of knowledge, but any thoughtful person can come to understand and be shaped by the Bible. This has happened in every century, every continent. You read through the passage slowly. Good idea is to read the Bible out loud. When the Bible was written, of course, most people were illiterate, so they heard it read out loud. It was written for that. There's a passage in Augustine where he visited his friend Ambrose And was amazed Ambrose could read the Bible without his lips moving or saying the words. And it may be that in the ancient world, even most people who could read would normally read out loud. Now, of course, that will slow you down, but that's the point. Read the passage more than once. It's not about how much do you cover. Be curious about what it says. For example, Paul says to Timothy this little phrase, continue in what you've read. Now we know from this letter that from infancy, Timothy learned the scriptures from his mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois. So I reflect on what a good thing it is to continue in for children to pass on to a child knowledge and love of scripture. Aren't you glad for all the people who volunteer week after week in Menlo Kids to help our children know the scriptures and love God? Aren't you glad for all the people in Menlo Kids who help our kids love Scripture and know God? Now, continue in, of course, can also mean, don't just read a passage and then go off and forget it. Let it remain in your mind as you go through your day. Continue in reflection on it. Absorb it. Meditate on it. For many people, meditation can be an intimidating word that they think requires special training, but it doesn't. How many of you have learned how to worry? If you, have lear- if you can worry, you can meditate. Meditation is just positive worry. Okay, It's part of how a mind gets transformed. It's just, in worry, thoughts repeat in your mind over and over and over, but they drag you down. In meditation, I allow thoughts to repeat over and over, but they elevate me. And you will worry by default. You will not meditate by default. You have to surrender. When you're observing, don't stop in the middle to chase down some question. If there's something that puzzles you or troubles you in the scripture, make a note of it. All questions, all doubts are welcome to God and our church. And an important part of being a disciple, you will want to study that more lady, later or ask a friend or do some research. But the kind of reading that we're talking about for this step, number two, think up, is reading for spiritual growth where I'm simply seeking help, guidance from God for my everyday life. I will almost always do this with a pen in my hand and very often I'll underline certain phrases that are helpful to me or I want to return to. Sometimes I'll circle a word. Sometimes I'll write something in the margin of the passage. And then when I look back through my Bible, I'll often remember what I learned or what was happening in my life when that word, that image, that thought was just what I needed and it helps to make this book very personal for me. Nancy will do that too. She also often uses a yellow highlighter. And I'll try to explain to her, there's no advantage in doing that. A pen lets you underline and write at the same time, so a highlighter is a waste of time. Highlighters are unbiblical. Jesus never used a highlighter, but Nancy disagrees. So use whatever will help you most on that one. Scripture, always observe, and then A, apply, application. The primary purpose of books in the ancient world was not to provide information. It was to produce excellent persons. And this was especially true of the Bible. Paul tells Timothy, continue in Scripture that you've known from infancy, that our God-breathed, Able to make us wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus. Useful for all aspects of life and growth. So that, so that the servant of God, that's you and me, anybody, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Not so that you can get an A in your Bible test, so that you may be not just equipped, but thoroughly equipped. And that happens mostly in your mind. You live from your mind, from those thoughts and feelings. So that you may be thoroughly equipped for not just a good work now and then, but every good work. In other words, the idea is so that everything I think and desire and feel and want and perceive and understand, everything I think and therefore everything I naturally say and naturally do flowing out of that from one moment to the next, will honor God and bless people. In other words, Jesus did not teach to increase people's knowledge, but to change people's lives. Sometimes people confuse knowing the Bible with being spiritually mature, but they are two often different things. We have all known folks who knew the Bible 10 times better than other people, but was not 10 times more loving than other people. Jesus' brother James put it like this, "'Do not merely listen to the word, "'and so deceive yourselves. "'Do what it says.'" Now, this phrase is bonus material. If somebody asks you what the sermon was about, you'll tell them, read the Bible, but then, if they say, well, that sounds kind of basic, kind of simple, I already know that. Anything else? Then you say, do what it says. Read the Bible, do what it says. It's not rocket science. There's a great summary of this often used in AA do the next right thing. And really, if you want to follow Jesus, surrender my will, a real good thing is just do the next right thing. Read the book, do what it says. A woman named Evelyn Freeman has written a book by this title. She cites research. The average person makes 35,000 decisions a day. We're often overwhelmed by them. She noted when Jesus would interview somebody, intervene in someone's life, he usually gave them one simple next thing to do. Cleanse a leper, go show yourself to the priest. Heal a paralytic, take up your mat and walk. Raise Jairus' daughter from the dead, fix her something to eat. Instead of some big life plan or mission statement, he just gives instructions, do this next thing. Not the next big thing, not the next dramatic thing, not the next impressive thing, just the next right thing. Write somebody a note. Give somebody a gift. Serve someone. Notice someone. Relax. Forgive. Laugh. This will come to you as you read the word. Go outside and look at the world and say, thank you, God. Be kind. Drive slower. Mention to someone you believe in God, even if it's scary. Volunteer. Don't take yourself so seriously. Think about something noble, beautiful, good. Ask for help. Give somebody an unexpected compliment. Look in the mirror, and instead of being discontented or disappointed, say, my gosh, you are fearfully and wonderfully made you good-looking thing take a deep breath, smile. And if I forget, and if I mess up, and if I do the wrong thing, then I remember the scripture where God says, my grace is sufficient for you. And I confess, and I repent, and receive mercy, and ask for help. And I do the next right thing. I can't, God can. I think I'll let him. It ain't brain surgery. Read the book, do what it says, do the next right thing. Scripture, observe, apply, and then P, pray. Understand, this is not merely a human book. And therefore, reading the Bible does not have to be merely a human act. It is something uniquely we do with God. So, as I'm reading, in particular at the end, I, I just talk with God honestly, simply, briefly about what I've read. We're going to talk more about prayer next week in the third step on the way. So, don't miss that. For centuries, people have met God in unique ways through his word. The first Christian in Africa, we're told about this in Acts, was an Ethiopian government official who met Jesus through reading the book of Isaiah. Augustine, great church leader in the early centuries, was leading a troubled and confused life when one day he heard an inner voice simply say, take up and read, and he did, and he met Jesus in the Gospels. Down through the centuries, this happens. There's a book by an author named Chirguin, who tells story after story about this. In Brazil, a man named Antonio of Minas uh, bought a New Testament. He took it home to burn because he was mad at religion, mad at the idea of God, and he threw it in the fire, but it would not burn easily, so he took it out and started reading at the Sermon of the Mount, and he read all night, and by the morning he said, I believe. In Chile, a man named Vincenti found a few pages of a Bible washed up on a seashore, and he read them. He'd never read the Bible, and he was so moved that he went and found a whole Bible and ended up devoting his life to distributing the Scriptures to people like him in villages in Chile. In Sicily, a thug accosted a book dealer who sold devotional books from Scripture And this thug lit a fire to burn the man's books. But he paused to read a little first. He read the 23rd Psalm. And then he read the story of the Good Samaritan. And then 1 Corinthians 13, all about love. And each time he would say, oh, that's good. We won't burn that. That's good. We won't burn that. And he stole all the books and took them with him. And years later, he turned up again. But he had become a minister of the gospel. People meet God in this. I'll tell you one more story. This one I know personally. A woman named Eileen had a daughter, a little girl, who'd been to a backyard Bible study and came home talking about God, and that made Eileen mad because they were a very irreligious family. But she realized she'd never tried to learn about God. She woke up at midnight and found a Bible in the house. Most homes have one. And she realized she'd never read it. She had never cracked a Bible. So she opened it up, and she saw there's an Old Testament And there's the New Testament. She didn't know what that was about. She figured the New Testament was an upgrade, like the current version. So she started there, and she read through Matthew, and then through Mark, and then through Luke. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, in the Gospel of John, she fell in love with Jesus on her living room floor. And gave him her life. And then her husband was mad. Dick was a successful lawyer, but it turns out he liked to drink. And he went on one bender too many and ended up being hospitalized and threatened with the loss of his very nice job and told he had to go to AA. And he said, I'm not meeting with a bunch of drunks at 6.30 in the morning. And his sponsor said, not only are you going to meet with that bunch of drunks, you are going to fix coffee for that bunch of drunks. And he did. And he met God. And he started doing the steps that we're talking about. And I heard from them this summer after my dad passed away, their lives were saved, their marriages were saved, he was saved from alcohol, their family was saved, because she picked up this book 40 years ago, It's an amazing book, you have an amazing mind. In my prayer, I don't make demands of God. I don't say I gotta have some dramatic experience or learn some profound insight or be given some life altering guidance. Might happen, it's a gift if it comes. What I do is I just offer in my mind, this amazing mind, and I ask him, because I can't, but he can. I ask him, God, take away all the fear. I've got so much, all the worry. I've got so much, all the dishonesty, all the greed, all the self-preoccupation, all the resentment, and replace those thoughts and feelings with confidence and love. Who wouldn't want that? With peace and trust and hope and humility. And gradually, step by step along the way, I learned from him to take every thought captive to Christ, oh my goodness, to have the peace of Christ guard my mind, to be transformed by the renewing of my mind, to have the same mind in me that was also in Christ Jesus, to have the mind of Christ, to set my mind on things above, to have a mind governed by the Spirit that is life and peace, to be anxious for nothing, to be grateful in everything, to love the Lord my God with all my heart and all my soul and all my strength and all my mind to have His joy in me and my joy complete. And that's what it means to think up. So, let's pray about that. Next week, step three. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, how we are aware right now, how we thank You for these two remarkable gifts. Our minds, the ability to think, and imagine, and feel, and want, and choose, and dream. And we confess to you, God, how often we neglect to care well for our minds. We allow them uh, to go places where they should not go. We feed them what we should not and we do not feed them what we should. We can't, God, but you can. So would you transform us by the renewing of our minds and then, God, for the book, for the scriptures, which you have breathed so that we can, we can understand we're not here by accident. There's a story. And we can meet Jesus and know you love us. We too can... Think thoughts that have renewed minds for thousands of years. Thank you for your book. Make us a people of the book. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us this week on Menlo Church Online. Our hope this week is that this message both inspired you and helped you connect to God better. We also hope that you have several questions coming out of this week. And so if that's the case, please shoot us a note at minlo.church and we hope to see you next week.